A very good morning to you. If you'd like to grab your seats, finish off your conversations. It's very good to see you here this morning. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful and amazing uh, Kate. And together we attempt to lead this, I was going to say Motley crew. I don't mean Motley crew. I mean this wonderful ensemble of uh, faithful people called the Southwest London Vineyard. Um, If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. The words should appear miraculously on the screen behind me, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So, he came there, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you've been around for the last few weeks, we've been doing a a series called Living Out Loud. And we've sort of been looking at the way in which Jesus interacted with those around him to see if there's anything that we can glean about how we in turn might interact with those around us that we encounter kind of on a day-to-day basis, be that at work or at the school gate in the supermarket or wherever. Uh, We started back in uh, January, and uh, if you remember, we started by looking at the four corners of Christianity, and if you can cast your mind back to that talk, we sort of touched on 
the idea of vision, uh, if you remember that uh, a little bit. And really, Ella's just uh, beaten me to it. But, um, you know, if you want to really get an essence, you know, of, of who we are as a church, you know, what we're, uh, what we're about, you really do need to look no harder, no further than Matthew 22 and Matthew 28, otherwise known respective, respectively as, you know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission of Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, uh, for surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. And as followers of Jesus, uh, as a church, you know, our first priority has to be the passionate pursuit of Jesus. The primary call on our lives, as Kate will often say, is to live our lives before an audience of one, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Because when we do this, when we passionately pursue Jesus, first and foremost, with all that we have, when we love God in everything and with everything, the stuff of Matthew 20, 28, the Great Commission, that becomes the natural overflow. It's as we love God, it's as we love our neighbors as ourselves, that we find ourselves you know, willing, ready and willing, more than willing, to go to wherever it is that the Lord may be sending us, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And we do that in the knowledge that we are doing it in and through the presence of the Spirit of God because surely he is with us even to the very end of the age. So really let's be a people who above all else passionately pursue Jesus. Let's uh, live out the great commandment of Matthew 22 and all the stuff of the kingdom, all the stuff of Matthew 28 which just naturally comes out of that place. Okay, so that's all for free, um, but there you go. Uh, we're going to be picking up that theme. There's something the Lord is stirring in there, and we're, we're going to be picking up that theme in the series that we're going to start after Easter, uh, where we're going to be looking at, in a little bit more detail, who is it that God has called us to be as a vineyard um, church? You know, so we're going to be looking at what might be called some of the distinctives of the vineyard, um, what we're calling vineyard DNA. Um, so if you want to know uh, more about who it is that God has called us to be as a vineyard church, uh, what that looks like in practice for here at Southwest London Vineyard, then stick around because we'll be doing that in the, what will be the summer term. We'll open the curtains. <laughs> I think we'll be brave. If you've not been here before, um, the curtains are closed perpetually to keep the warmth in. This is as warm as it's ever been. I think we should have a, a celebration. The heaters are off. The heating is on. Um, it's the first time the heating's actually been on for most of the winter and probably will be on until August. Uh, but the heaters, the heaters are off. So soon we will open the curtains and let the lights flood in and bask in the glory of warmth until September or October. <laughs> By which time everything will have been fixed. The heating will have been done, the windows will have been restored, and we will be in here toasty. <laughs>
Anyway, uh, back to our series that we started back in January when you were shivering. <laughs> uh, we started off by looking at the four corners of Christianity. And then and in the following weeks, you know, amongst other things, we've looked at the way in which Jesus interacted. Do you remember with the woman caught in adultery? Uh, the way in which he interacted with that dodgy you know, tax collector, Nicodemus. Uh, we looked at the way God feels about lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons and lost daughters. We've seen how Jesus interacted with the religious leaders of his day, which uh, rarely went very well, uh, as well as those who were described as uh, tax collectors and sinners. There's something in our text this morning, and this is a passage that Kate looked at, you know, right back at the beginning, I think, of the year. There's something in our passage and, and our text this morning that I think beautifully links all of the talks that we've heard over these past few weeks. Something that not only reflects uh, the way Jesus interacted with those around him, but also bears witness to how we are to be with those we encounter wherever and whenever uh, that may be. And it's found in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And this is a question I believe Jesus is asking of us today. Do you see? Do we see? Do we see the person we pass every day who's homeless and living on the streets? Do we see the person standing outside the supermarket every time we go shopping selling the big issue? Do we see the crowds of young people? I mean, just by us, there's a school by us. Crowds of young people coming out of school who maybe look a little bit intimidating, but perhaps are themselves just pretty terrified. Do we see the young person on their own, sidelined and marginalized by their friends? Do we see the person struggling with their mental health? Do we see the person in the wheelchair or the person who cannot see? Do we see the person who's just that little bit socially awkward and actually is quite hard to talk to? Do we see the Muslim or the Hindu or the Buddhist or the Sikh? Do we see the person who identifies as LGBTQI? Do we see the person who's neurodiverse? Do we see the elderly? Do we see the unborn? Do we see the person who lives down our street? Do we even see the person who lives next door? I, I, mean, I could go on and on and on. Do you see this woman? Jesus asks Simon. And I think he's asking us that very same question this morning. Because Simon and all the other guests reclining around the table that evening, they all saw the woman, 100%. They all saw her. But what they saw, who they saw, wasn't what Jesus saw, wasn't who Jesus saw. Have a look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see, all Simon and his guests saw when she enters his house was a sinner. 
In their eyes, all she was and all she ever would be was how she's described in verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. But that's not who Jesus is. Have a look at verse 44 down to 47. And he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, rather than seeing her in light of her past, rather than seeing her in light of her reputation, which is how Simon and his guests see her, Jesus sees something far greater. Jesus takes the time to look beyond the surface. He looks into her heart, into her motivations, into her kind of true uh, desires and declares it beautiful. Jesus declares her beautiful. And not only does Jesus affirm her for what she's done, he actually rebukes Simon for what he has not done. And in that moment, you really wouldn't have wanted to have been Simon. That was an awkward moment. If we're wanting to live out the greatest commandment and the great commission of Matthew 22 and Matthew 28, if we're wanting to live the way Jesus would have us live, we really do need to learn how to really see. The reality is we can't see others until we've seen ourselves. And we can't see ourselves until we've seen God. We can't see others the way God sees them until we ourselves have seen God and in the light of his glory and majesty have seen ourselves. Alex uh, touched on this last week, but I wanted to kind of pick it up again as we round, out, or round off our series on Living Out Loud just by looking at a passage from Isaiah chapter 6. This is Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. 
In these uh, stunning verses written by the prophet Isaiah, some like seven, eight hundred years before the coming of Christ, we get a glimpse of what it means, I believe, to see God and to see ourselves so that we might see others. Uh, Isaiah has this revelation of the Lord seated uh, on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple above him of the seraphim. They've got six wings, and they're flying around, and they're calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they're crying out, as they're worshipping the living God, the, the doorposts and the thresholds are shaking, and the temple of the presence of God is filled with smoke. It's all like pretty stunning and a, a little bit terrifying. And this is what Isaiah sees. This is who Isaiah sees. And this is who we need to see so that we might see. And of course, you know, having caught a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the wonder and the splendor of God, this picture, this scene, uh, what else can Isaiah say but Woe is me, I am ruined. One version have it as, I am undone. Why is he undone? He says, because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Having seen the Lord God Almighty in all his splendor and majesty and glory and grace. Isaiah sees himself as, talks about in Revelation, as wretched, as miserable, as poor, as blind, as naked. Woe is me. I am undone. But you see what happens next? Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he'd taken with tongs from the altar with it he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for in his goodness and grace and mercy the lord god almighty from his throne atones for the state of isaiah's heart he takes a coal from the altar places it on isaiah's lips such that his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. And so, having seen the Lord high and exalted, and having seen himself and the state of the condition of his own heart, you know, woe is me, I am undone, my eyes have seen the Lord. Um, Isaiah has now been cleansed, he's now been forgiven, he's now been atoned for. And it's now, having seen the Lord and having seen himself, that he is now in a position to be able to see others. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And as we come to the end of our series, Living Out Loud, um, the questions we might need to ask ourselves is how are we seeing? How Good are we really seeing? You know, back to verse 44 from our text from Luke. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do we see this morning? How are we at seeing those the Lord is putting around us? Not merely just from the outside. You know, what do they kind of look like? As Simon and his guests had done with the woman. Uh, but really from the heart. 
How are we seeing beyond that the external stuff that might be being presented to us in the first instance? How are we seeing beyond that to the heart and the motivation and the true desires of those we're encountering? And if our honest answer to that is, you know, we're not actually seeing others very well. You know, we're not seeing others with the same grace and kindness and mercy and goodness that we've seen demonstrated by Jesus in all of the texts that we've looked at through this series. And then perhaps we're in need of an Isaiah-like revelation of God again. Perhaps we need to see the Lord once again, high and exalted, seated on the throne with the train of his robe filling the temple. And then having seen him in all the fullness of his glory and his majesty, we might just in that moment catch an authentic and true and real glimpse of ourselves and the state of our own hearts and find ourselves declaring in his presence, woe is me for I am undone. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And having seen him and having seen others, perhaps we might then begin to see others the way that he would have us see them. And the place that we first get this revelation of God seen here by Isaiah um, is none other than at the cross. Um, so if you are in need of seeing God again, uh, it's Easter. Can I encourage you to take some time this week to sit at the foot of the cross this Easter and allow his blood to cleanse you and to make you clean? Uh, with this today being Palm Sunday, today's the start of Holy Week, and you know, can I encourage you just to take some time? We've been doing a, a whole series uh, throughout Lent of daily podcasts, and they're just really short reflections, but they're, they've been really helpful, just ways of fixing our eyes and fixing and turning our attention towards Jesus, and there's another uh, seven of those, uh, one started today for Palm Sunday, and they're going all the way through Holy Week, they're just great opportunities to reflect on the events of Holy Week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And if you're in need of a revelation of God, can I encourage you just to take some time. They're like five minutes long. Just to listen to those uh, this week um, as together as a church we journey through the events of Holy Week uh, to the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Because it's at the cross that we first see him. It's at the cross that we first see ourselves so that we might truly see others. And having encountered Jesus at the cross, the way I think that we go on seeing him um, is in and through our acts of worship. That's why coming together on a Sunday morning is such a central priority to who we are as a church. This is such a massive privilege um, to gather together as the body of Christ and to engage corporately in worship, in sung worship. It's just one expression of our worship. There's lots of others. You know, Romans 12 talks about it all. But there's something about, especially in the vineyard, and we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, coming here, being ready at half past ten, 
not dragging ourselves in at 10 to 11, coming here and being ready at half past 10 to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to sing antiphonal. It's part of the reason we have the chairs sort of positioned like this. That antiphonal worship, the holy, holy, holy. They cried, the seraphim, cry and call out and worship to one another. We want to be able to kind of see each other as we worship. Because as we worship, we declare the praises of the king to one another. And we shout across the room, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what we're doing when we worship. And the whole of Isaiah 6 takes place every time we gather together and worship. Because when we worship God, we see him. We see him high and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. As we see him as we worship, we see the condition of our own hearts. And we find ourselves in the middle of worship going, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And we carry on through worship as we receive the coal from the altar. We're reminded that because of Christ's death, we have been forgiven. Our sin has been atoned for. And we find ourselves at the end of worship saying, I surrender. Here am I. Send me. Do what you want with me. Send me where you will. Have my life. Have it all. None of it's mine. You can have my time and my energy and my money. I give it all to you. Because my eyes have seen the King. My eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. That's what happens when we worship. That's a whole other sermon you're going to get. I'm going to get that again in a couple of weeks' time. But that's why we gather to worship. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so precious. That's why, why do we miss this? Why are we not here every week? Another sermon. Um, Isaiah 6 paints this vivid portrait of what happens every time we come together um, to worship the Lord, every time we spend time worshiping the Lord, whether that's at home or wherever it is that we find ourselves. Um, He comes, his presence comes. He comes and he engages with us. He reveals himself to us in new ways. He touches us with his presence, with his goodness and his grace. And we are transformed, we are changed. And from that place, you know, that place of surrender where we say, here am I, send me, he does just that. Every Sunday when we leave this place, we are the church gathered, being sent out through those doors, commissioned with the great commission of Matthew 28 to go to all nations or wherever it is the Lord may send us during the course of the next seven days, to go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. Surely he's with us to the very end of the age. We walk out of those doors. We are the church scattered. We are commissioned. We go filled with the Holy Spirit. We go out into the highways and byways and share what the goodness of the Lord in the places that we find ourselves. And as we go, we see people through the lenses of his goodness and grace and his mercy. Having remembered and been reminded of the state of our own hearts. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King Almighty. We 
we go in that humility because as we meet people in the course of our day-to-day lives, we remember that there by the grace of God go I. I have no right to judge anyone because I am the worst of all, the most wretched of all. I am the one who's, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord. So what right do I have to judge anybody? Lord, give me eyes to see the heart of the people in front of me that I might minister your gospel, your truth to them, that I might live out loud. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, if we can have the band back. The way that we do this here is um, we're going to... we have a couple of people on either side come up? Well, we've got some bread and some grape juice. It's gluten-free bread, and it is just grape juice. I'm just going to read some scripture, and then I'm going to just invite you to come up in your own time. Break off a little bit of the bread, dip it in the grape juice. As we find ourselves coming into Holy Week, I'm just going to read from Matthew. Why don't you stand?